It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome in again to the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. As always, on the podcast this week, we're going to check in on the College World Series and also the start of short season ball. We're also going to talk about Glaber Torres' injury with the Yankees. He'll miss the rest of the season. But first, we are excited to have Reds Vice President of Amateur Scouting, Chris Buckley, with us. And Chris, thanks for joining us. I know the dust is still kind of settling on the 2017 draft, but thanks for taking some time with us. Well, thanks for having me. My first question for you, Chris, is, you know, a lot of people probably think, hey, the draft's over. Those guys can kind of breathe and, and relax a little bit, but you got to get all these guys signed, and then it's, a, it's on to next year. Is this as busy right after the draft as leading up to the draft? Yes, it really is because uh, you, you have to get all the kids out there. You have to get the physicals done. You, you have to get them to travel out there. So th- this part, we're, we're not evaluating players per se, but, but we do have to get them all signed up. So it, it does take some time to get them all through the physicals and that kind of stuff. Uh, Chris, obviously the the guy that everyone probably wants to know about is the guy you took uh, right at the top, number two overall, Hunter Green. Um, should we should we expect a, a signing? Feel free to break the news here on our podcast if you'd like. But uh, <laughs> I also just you know in terms of once once you do get him signed, and everyone knows that that will you know happen at some point. I know the plan is to let him hit a little bit, uh, at least in this first summer. Can you explain that process? Yes, uh, the, the plan is to, to to let Hunter hit some because uh, he is an outstanding two-way prospect. And uh, although we, we like him a little more on the mound, my entire group does think he's a quality prospect as a shortstop. And Hunter's not pitched since early April, so he needs to be tuned up and, and get him going and get a base of some innings underneath them. So our entire group, our farm director, Jeff Groppy, Dick Williams, and the other people involved think it would be a good idea to have, have me hit some for a while. Chris, obviously he gets the lion's share of the attention from your draft because he, he was the number two overall pick. But one thing I thought was interesting, I mean, in a draft that was thought to be kind of light and up-the-middle talent, you guys found some pretty interesting – up the middle guys in early rounds. I mean, you got Jeter Downs in the supplemental first round, shortstop from Florida. You got Wake Forest center fielder Stewart Fairchild in the second round, and then middle infielder Cash Case, another Florida high schooler, in the fourth round. Was that something that you guys targeted, or is that just how the draft board fell when those guys came up? Because it seemed like you got a, a pretty good haul there. Well, it's something we, we try and do uh, each draft, Jim, but uh, you know some are harder than others, and it's something the other 29 teams also want. Uh, it kind of lined up that way. Jeter was there. Uh, he's a guy we've seen quite a bit of. Uh, uh, I have a very strong group of, of some of my 
very high up scouts that live in Florida and, and we've, we've had some success there in the Dade County area. He's a guy we've seen quite a bit of, uh, but we didn't plan to do it, but, but we were excited when those guys were there when, when we came around to pick. Chris, it seems that you guys have done uh, a, a very nice job of using the draft pool system without necessarily sacrificing anything, you know, at the very top. Last year, you, 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 Nick Senzel was the top of your boards and you got him, and you were still able to get Taylor Trammell. Uh, you know, this year you're able to, to draft Hunter Green, and, and you're able to get, you know, Jacob Heatherly and, and Cash Case, who are already signed for, for above pick value. Can you talk a little bit about that process uh, of how you guys work to, uh, I guess, manipulate the, your, your bonus to, to the highest benefit for the organization? Well, I have some, Johnson, I have some really, really smart guys that helped me put this thing together. They deserve Sam Grossman and Jeff Groppy, Nick Kroll, Mark McKnight. Some of the guys that helped me with the financial end of it are very, very sharp, have very creative minds. And, and yeah, all 30 teams are trying to maximize whatever their budget is, and hopefully we're doing that. But I have some really sharp people that help me put this together. Chris, you're kind of off that theme, too. You're talking about the bonus pool and moving money around and figuring out who you can sign. I know you guys have already signed a couple of your, your live-armed uh, junior college pitchers in rounds 11 and 13, and, and Jared Solomon and, and Ricky Karcher. Is there going to be room in the budget, does it look like, to, to maybe make a run at, at – one of the, the bigger name guys you guys took in the later rounds, like a, like a Seth Lonsway or a Brady McConnell, or are those guys maybe more insurance policies in case something happened with, with one of your earlier picks? <laughs> you guys, <laughs> Jim, you and Jonathan have this stuff down pretty good for sure. Uh, we're hopeful. Uh, certainly we have to get Hunter signed up first, and, and that will tell us exactly where we can go. But, you know, like all the other clubs, we, we do pick guys past the 10th round, and we are hopeful on a couple of those guys. We, we've done some good work there. We think we know where we need to be. But we'll, we we have to free up the money up in front and get Hunter, get Hunter done and whatnot. But we are hopeful to help finish it off that we could land uh, a couple of those guys after the 10th round. Chris, you know, at the same time as trying to get all these signed and figuring out uh, all that stuff, you have to kind of shift gears quickly. The summer showcase circuit is already underway. You've got the Perfect Game National. You've got USA's Baseball's uh, Prospect Development Pipeline events uh, all this week, Tournament of Stars next week. Uh, how, how, how difficult is it to shift gears? And I would imagine you're kind of wearing both hats in terms of working on signing the 2016 guys, uh, 2017 guys while looking ahead to 2018 at the same time? Well, you know, yes. I have people – I'm actually covering our farm system now. I'm out watching some of our minor league clubs play. But we will have people at all those events. And every person, Jonathan, no matter what level you work at at the business – uh, the, the draft is all time-consuming. It, it's it's 11 months now. Uh, we did have a bunch of scouts at the Perfect Game National in Fort Myers and, and whatnot. But everybody, no matter what level you are, you have to take a little breath, 
step back or, or else your players can start running into each other. You, you, you can't stay out on the road for 30 days in a row and, and do the, you become a non-productive employee. So for the next few weeks, I'll be watching our farm system and, and helping the farm people. I, I still do the international stuff, so there's, there's still work there. But uh, I'll be at a ballpark somewhere, but it, it might not quite yet be preparing for the 2018 draft. Well, Chris, I, I'll make it easy on you. Uh, we, we also doing a little bit of a look ahead. They made me uh, project the top ten picks in next year's draft based on the records. And I gave you Joe Gray Jr., the, the, the outfielder from Mississippi. Does that work for you? You just take Joe Gray and you guys can move on yeah, to the second just, round. Just, I've already just, taken care of it for you. Just guarantee me he's going to play 10 years in the big leagues, make four all-star teams we'll, we'll sign up for today. There you go. So. I, I'll guarantee that for you. So get that one done. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I'm sure Dick Williams would sign up for it, too. Uh, no, it's <laughs> It, it's so far out. Things change so much. Kids get hurt. Things come up. There's off-field issues, and it's it's great to start focusing on it. But, but I, th- I think the people that have been at this for for a while know how many things can change: and injuries, down performances, uh, off-field issues. There, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into a selection, and. All 30 teams kind of do it a little bit differently and, and whatnot. So, but uh, no, we're we're out there. We're active. We're 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 trying to develop that follow list and get as many looks at these guys as we can. Chris, one more for me, and it's uh, this sure. is the second straight year that uh, you were number two. Hunter Green this year, Nick Senzel uh, a year ago, and he's off to a good start to his pro career. Can you just kind of? Give an update where, in your mind, he is along the path to the major leagues. Well, I think he's he's doing he's doing well. Uh, you know, Nick Nick uh, started in Daytona. Uh, I I live in Tampa. The Florida State League is, is a very difficult league for e- even a college player coming out of the Southeastern Conference. Uh, it, it it's a, a tough league. It's a no frills league it's extremely hot uh he's swinging the bat well he's hitting a little bit over 300 he's hit a lot of doubles uh you know and 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 nick's still learning third base that's not a position he played a ton of so uh he's doing quite well there he's running the bases well and and so far so good with nick senzel All right, well, Chris, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for joining us, and I know the reviews have been very high as far as your draft class here in 2017, so congratulations on that. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, guys. See you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. All right, that was Chris Buckley, the Reds' vice president of amateur scouting for the Reds, and I guess, guys, a quick thought from each of you on that. He... He's such a fun guy to talk to um, and and his perspective on it all. Uh, Jim, anything stand out to you? Um, no, I mean, it's, I think we, we both talked to Chris a decent amount. And, I mean, Chris is a great interview and a very knowledgeable scout. And, you know, it's, uh, I know he's got his plate is full, you know, as he told our listeners, that it's not just the draft. I mean, he's also working internationally. He, he's evaluating the farm system. Uh, it, it never ends. Which yeah, I yeah, he got, it's kind of like our schedule. That's right. He, uh, 
we get to stay at home a little bit more than he does, I'm sure. But, you know, he, you know he, once he got bumped up and got that VP title, and it wasn't just the amateur draft for him. Uh, he's had his hands in a lot of things for a while. And it just uh, it's nice to have him on again. It's like the second annual post-draft Chris Buckley interview on, on the Pipeline podcast. But uh, just to give listeners a, a real insight into the, the craziness uh, of helping to run a, a scouting department and, and all that it entails. I, I hope he knows that we already have him locked in for the post-2018 uh, draft podcast. Um, we can get it on a schedule right now. All right. Uh, and, Jim, as far as his rankings go, you had the Reds number two. So certainly a nice job by them in this draft, and we'll see how it plays out, obviously, over the years. All right, before we move on to the rest of the podcast, we want to take a second to tell you about the Fantasy 411 podcast. Want to win your fantasy league this year? Whether you're playing 10-team head-to-head against your friends or a 20-team expert dynasty format, Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach can give you the edge. Last week, the MLB fantasy crew discussed a number of intriguing outfielders, including Lewis Brinson and Mitch Haniger, then tossed out a few widely available names worthy of consideration for owners in need of pitching help. Before you set your lineup or hit the waiver wire, subscribe the Fantasy 411 podcast on iTunes today. All right, a little bit of news this week that I wanted to touch on, and that is Glaber Torres. Um, Tommy John surgery on his non-throwing arm. So it's on the left elbow, which is kind of weird for a shortstop, but it, I guess the injury occurred more in a collision. Um, he's going to miss the rest of 2017. Jim, this is a guy who... We thought we might see in 2017. I know this won't really destroy his development at all, but what does it mean for the time frame? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, we, we talked about him even going back to the offseason. I think we all kind of felt like if the Yankees contended this year, which which they have done, that there's a chance we'd see him at midseason. And I think there was a growing clamor to promote him from AAA. You know, he got off to a slow start in AAA, but then he, they really picked it up. Chase Headley not performing that well for the Yankees at the big league level. And there was kind of this, this growing clamor to get Torres to the big leagues and put him in the lineup, whether you put him at third or, or shift somebody else over there um, and make the Yankees even better. You know, obviously that won't happen now. You know, long term, I, I don't think it really makes a big difference uh, in his development because it's his non-throwing arm. And even though it's his throwing arm, I mean, it should bounce back. But you know, I mean, we could see him, you know, at some point next year or, you know, I would think opening day 2019 probably at the latest. Jonathan, with the Yankees doing what they're doing this season, despite the, the recent kind of swoon that they've had over the last week or so, uh, how big a piece could he have been for this team down the stretch? Uh, you know, I think had he contributed this year, it would have been a, a bonus just because he was – you know, uh, getting to double A for the first time and how young he is and the fact that, uh, you know, his main position shortstop, they're, they're, I think they're pretty set at the big league level with Didi Gregorius. You know, could he have moved around? Sure, and he had moved around. So uh, I don't know that they were counting on him. Obviously, they're playing above expectations without him. Uh, I think he would have added a, a, a boost, uh, you know, late if they had wanted him to, even as a September call-up. But uh, So they'll have to be a little more patient, you know, it's uh, it is a shame uh, in that uh, he would have been ready for opening day next year without question, in, in, in my estimation. This will slow it up a little bit, but he's still so young enough. Uh, and the fact that it's not his throwing arm won't really mean, you know, that, oh, well, we have to worry about his ability to play, uh, say, on the left side of the infield long term. 
All right, short season baseball is getting underway this week uh, around uh, the country and around the different uh, levels at our leagues at that level. And Jonathan, you have a story up uh, on the top prospects that are playing in short season ball. And it's neat. You have a list of, of uh, a bunch of names, and it's neat because it's, it's a lot of different things. It's guys that were just drafted, um, international guys as well, and, and a, a kind of a good cross-section of young, obviously, prospects. Uh, when you were compiling the list, what stood out to you as far as the guys that are headed to that level here? Uh, you know, I think... I tried to find a good cross-section of that, you know, because I could have been very 2017 draft-heavy. And there were guys that I didn't put on the list who will obviously make their debuts in some of these short-season or rookie-level leagues and, uh, and will be fun to watch. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the two things that were a couple of the international guys who were making their, their U.S. debuts, uh, I'm sorry, their professional debuts in the United States, Kevin Maton is going to debut in the Gulf Coast League. He hasn't played an inning for the Braves yet. Uh, and he'll be in the GCL, uh, and that starts uh, early next week as we record this, uh, Monday the 26th, I believe, is when it starts. Uh, and then uh, Adrian Morjan from the, from the Padres, the, the Cuban left-hander, uh, is actually making his official pro debut up in the Northwest League. So it shows you how much the... Padres thought of his uh, his ability, his stuff, and his feel for pitching all com all combined as a teenager. And the Northwest League, like the the New York Penn League, is a more advanced short season league. It's where college draftees tend to go to make their pro debut. So he is well above the the curve in terms of his age. And then as far as draft guys, you have Kyle Wright, Royce Lewis, Austin Beck, Joe Adele, a bunch of guys that were just drafted and, and were able to quickly sign and get their professional careers started. Um, Jim, when you look at short season ball, and Jonathan mentioned the New York Penn League and, and anybody that follows that league, I've noticed over the years that when you, when you see a real advanced bat or an advanced player start at that level, sometimes it's a pretty quick stay, right? I mean, I, I, I'm thinking back, I think uh, Andrew Benintendi was briefly in Lowell um, a couple years ago and, and played like two weeks. You see that sometimes where guys just get to that level and you quickly realize how good they are and maybe they need to move on fast. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of times, especially with your first-round picks and especially with your college first-round picks, you're, you're just kind of getting the guys acclimated to pro ball. Um, you know, like, you know, you mentioned Kyle Wright's on Jonathan's list. I mean, Kyle Wright's, I, I wouldn't imagine he's going to spend the whole summer in short season ball, although I don't necessarily think he'll, he'll pitch a lot either as a college pitcher who worked a decent amount during the spring. But I, I think it's, it, you know, it's a lot easier to boost the guy's confidence by putting him at a level that, that he can handle than it is to rebuild it if you move the guy too fast. Um, you know, and, and I don't think this happened to Corey Ray, but you saw, I mean, Corey Ray struggled when the Brewers put him in high A ball right out of the draft last year. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see some of these guys, but, but especially your advanced college players, like, like with a Kyle Wright and, you know, again, you know, Brendan McKay isn't on Jonathan's list because he's still playing in the College World Series right now, but I would assume that Brendan McKay will, will you know, probably begin his you know, pro career in a short season league somewhere, and then we may see him in Class A before the summer's over. And then another category, Jonathan, that you didn't touch on, I guess, in your, your list was guys that – weren't supposed to be necessarily in short season ball this year, but our injured Jake Room jumps out as one of those guys. I had to get that in there. Of um, but but there, there's guys like that, too, that are coming off of injuries, and it's a nice first step back. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and Groom may end up being there for a little while because he didn't throw a ton last year. You know, he, he had uh, done well enough in spring training to make a full-season club, and my guess is he eventually uh, ends up back in the South Atlantic League. But I could see him making, I don't know, four or five starts uh, with Lowell uh, just to get his legs under him again, although he certainly threw well enough uh, to make it look like his legs are under him already. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you'll see those guys go out and, and uh, have their injury rehabs, and uh, some of them will end up much higher, and then he's a guy that, you know, just end up a, a step higher up in, in the Sally League when he's ready to go. All right, so that's the deal with the short season leagues getting underway. If not, have, if they haven't already started, they'll be starting uh, in the next week or so. Uh, the College World Series is ongoing, and Jim, Oregon State, has been number one all year long, and a lot of times you get to the World Series and teams get upset just because of the format and the double elimination nature of it all, but they have looked every bit the part of the number one team and so far, haven't they? they? They really have. I mean, you know, it's interesting. You watch them, and they're a very good team, but on paper, or even just watching them play a few games, and I'm not out there yet. I'll head out there Friday, but just haven't watched them throughout the, the NCAA playoffs on ESPN. Uh, you know, uh, 56 and four, which is their overall record right now, is pretty shocking. I mean, they're a very good team. Um, you know, they're on pace. You know, if they win the national championship, I think to win the national championship with the best winning percentage, or certainly the most games over 500 of any team ever. Uh, you know, it, well, it, it, and as you pointed out, I mean, anything can happen in Omaha. This year, the field's pretty strong. I believe five national seeds made it to Omaha. Um, yeah, they're obviously without the, the national ERA leader and Luke Heimlich, who has decided not to be a distraction to the team after the shocking news that he was a registered sex offender surfaced right before the, the Super Regionals. But, you know, right now Oregon State, you know, one win away from the finals. Oregon State and, uh, and Florida are in the driving driver's seat. They, they, right today we got, if I've got the schedule down correctly, LSU plays Florida State today an elimination game, and then the winner has to beat Oregon State twice. And then tomorrow, Louisville plays TCU, and the winner of that has to beat Florida twice. And while that may seem like a daunting task, you know, I, I've seen that happen a lot in Omaha. Usually one of the one-loss teams comes back and beats the undefeated team. And last year at this time, it looked like we were headed for a, a TCU-Oklahoma State final, and then Arizona and Coastal Carolina wound up, you know, winning three straight games to make it to the finals instead. All right, so that's your update on the College World Series. It'll be over by the time we talk next week, so maybe we can uh, get a little thought on the top performers as far as uh, guys that were drafted and, and, and high picks that are moving on. So that's going to do it for the College World Series, and that'll do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We want to thank Chris Buckley for joining us, the Vice President of Amateur Scouting for the Reds. He was great, and thanks to Jim and Jonathan as always. I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.